there, and welcome to Resilience in the End, a weekly podcast that recognizes we're in serious trouble, but stubbornly focuses on how to find community and joy in the chaos. I'm your host, Polly, and today we're going to be talking about self-sufficiency versus community sufficiency and why community sufficiency is the obviously superior option. But first, a shout out to the star supporter of this episode, Anna, who bought me a couple coffees. Huge thanks to you, Anna. Your support on a baby podcast like this means so much and is so, so welcome. You can support this podcast and this beautiful, beautiful cat you can see if you are watching this on YouTube. Um, by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, totally free. Or you can buy me a coffee that helps keeps the lights on on this website at buymeacoffee.com slash polly.barks. Thank you so much for all of your support so far, guys. It means a lot. Okay, I'm going to paint you this picture. You're out in the country. There's a little gravel road where maybe one or two cars pass by every day. There's this huge field you're looking at uh, standing on your porch on maybe a quarter of an acre. There's a beautiful garden set up with, you know, those wildly expensive arches and uh, tall raised beds. And it's just overflowing with abundance. Maybe there are some chickens running around for eggs and, and future food. Uh, maybe you have a dairy cow that you wake up and joyously milk every day, twice a day, uh, and you're just living this wonderful little life where you never have to go to the grocery store. I think we've all had this fantasy at some point, right? A lot of us dream of this self-sufficient, idyllic homestead lifestyle, particularly millennials and Gen Z folks who I think rightfully so are rebelling against the shitty systems that have just consistently burned them so badly, right? We imagine a homestead with abundant food we can just go out and pick because we're getting killed by corporate gouging of food prices in the grocery store. Not to mention that it's filled with all kinds of toxic elements that often are not legal to be sold in other countries. You know, we dream about doing manual labor because we're stuck doing tedious, pointless, bullshit jobs. If you've ever read the David Graeber book, it's a great book, um, that that feel pointless and, and maybe, you know, even putting into a system that we don't support. It makes sense that we have this dream because we don't want to rely on these long, thin, ultimately unethical and unsustainable in every sense of the word, global supply chains. We want to know that our vegetables have been tenderly cared for throughout their life using only organic growing practices. We want to know that our basic needs can be met by our own hands without having to pay into an extractive system and, you know, that it's done in a way that aligns with our own ethics. Uh, you know, maybe we get real wild and we want to shear our own sheep to spin our own wool and knit our own sweaters, you know. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but we have a sense that the system is so broken that if we just get away from it, 
it'll be all better. If we only rely on ourselves, everything will be perfect and we'll just have it all figured out. And I think all of that's fair to want, but I also think it's ultimately a fantasy sold to us by, let's be honest, YouTubers and Instagrammers with a lot of generational wealth. Because self-sufficiency is just a myth. The idea that we can simply pick up a couple acres, right, even if, if that's even accessible to you at all, and live off the land all by ourselves is a lie. Logistically, it's just unlikely that you'll be able to build up enough resources and capacity to provide yourself with everything you need. If you've ever grown a vegetable garden and then needed to process that food after months and months of growing and hours and hours of processing with a couple jars of tomato sauce, like the amount of effort and work that comes into getting anywhere near sufficiency in one part of your life is so, so much work. And I think spiritually, a lone fighter against out-of-control wildfires, surprise Category 5 hurricanes, and other fearful events that are coming and have come with the climate crisis doesn't ever win. That lone fighter is always going to lose against the broader elements of a very angry Mother Nature. And it's kind of confusing that this idea of self-sufficiency as a real thing is is even the weirdly beloved Little House on the Prairie books, which is like a call to homesteading for many like of those kind of trad wife white women in the 21st century, show a life that's not actually that self-sufficient. Sure, they do a lot of work and live subsistently on mostly things they grow, but borrowing, trading, and leaning on community was an integral part in all of that. They still went to the store. They still traded things with their neighbors. They still bought things. They just were not self-sufficient. Any sort of idealized version of how people used to live in the old days is, is just that. It's idealized. Even isolated folks eventually have to trek into town to pick up sugar that you can't grow in your zone or flour that you simply don't have enough acres to grow wheat for. And whatever other necessities you simply can't produce on your own, right? Show me even the Amish folks who are considered to be quite self-sufficient. They are not growing their own flax to turn into linen to knit into dresses. So instead of aiming for this isolation-driven, rugged individualism of self-sufficiency, which isn't even a real thing in the first place, we should all actually be looking towards community sufficiency. Of course, within the capacity of the scope of your budget, location, and life circumstances, you should know how to take care of yourself in basic ways. Knowing how to cook simple meals with basic location and seasonal specific uh, ingredients, knowing basic first aid practices, and having a, a basic first aid kit on hand, um, having some extra cash and food on hand in case of an emergency, very basic things that build that self-sufficiency are critical to have. And we talk a lot about that here because it is important. That said, for the larger issues that come with a cost of living crisis, a climate crisis, the, the bigger emergencies of life, you are simply not enough. A big problem requires a big answer. And that answer is community sufficiency. So what is community sufficiency? 
I see it as a group of people striving for self-sufficiency through interconnectedness and interdependence. You're not trying to opt out of unjust, unsustainable systems all by your lonesome. You're doing it with the help and resources of a larger group, whether it be your family, your neighborhood, or even your city, right? Of course, we don't want to rely on these unjust, unethical, thin, long global supply chains to, say, get your carrots. But that doesn't mean you need to figure out how to grow carrots in your city apartment building. It means you need to find a local farmer who grows carrots that you can buy. That supports the community and its sufficiency because you are gathering the resources you need from within your community, not just all from you alone. And in the upcoming episodes, we are going to talk about a lot of tactical ways to approach community sufficiency. But for this episode, I did want to give you some tangible examples of, of what I think this looks like. Uh, if any spark your interest, definitely let me know uh, in the comments of this post, uh, polybarks.com slash podcast slash eight, written out E-I-G-H-T. It'll also be in the show notes. Um, but yeah, let me know if any are particularly interesting to you that we can dive into first. So yeah, let's start with some tangible examples of community sufficiency. Uh, a drought rips through your area and you can't water your pepper plants. They all die, uh, but your drought-tolerant cowpea field <laughs> does great, and you are able to trade some of those cowpeas to another person whose peppers did just fine. If you can't grow things, and that's fine, um, I think sufficiency focuses a lot on food because we need food to survive, <laughs> but you certainly don't have to grow at all because a lot of folks can't. So maybe you buy locally grown food through a CSA and the farmer's market. You are, again, supporting your community, which is building community sufficiency. You know, again, you live in an apartment, so you can't have chickens, but you don't want to support unethical commercial options. You may also be on a budget. Maybe you offer to feed and monitor the neighbor's chicken coop when they're busy or out of town and you get eggs in a trade. Of course, community sufficiency is not just food it's it's other resources it's skills it's time and it's it's relations so thinking about that um you and your friends all have kids and you can't afford to pay babysitters all the time so you decide to build a rotation calendar where every week one person takes the kids for a few hours and everyone else gets to do whatever they got to do kid free because kids are expensive, or so I've heard, <laughs> right? So again, thinking about your kid is growing so fast and you just don't have the cash to be constantly buying them shoes every week that their feet grows bigger. Uh, so you host a community swap where you grab some shoes from your friend's bigger kid and a neighbor gets gently used baby clothes from your kids when they were younger. And again, community sufficiency is also relational, right? We talked about that in episode two, getting to know your neighbors. Um, one of the best ways to build sufficiency is to know who's out there and eventually learn what they have. <laughs> um, sorry, you should go look at my beautiful cat on on the video version. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thinking relationally, uh, you host a get-together for your neighborhood where you get to know your neighbors and help them connect, right? 
gardeners can meet gardeners and set up a seed swap next spring. Um, a building contractor gives references for another neighbor who needs to update their house. Um, cooks are trading recipes. Kids and parents are arranging play dates. Uh, there's just all kinds of connections you can forge just by getting people together. Um, you may also consider more broadly, uh, you make an excellent DIY product or you have a really cool skill that saves money and time. So you host a class at your local library to share that skill uh, with others in your community. So there are a ton of ways to begin building community sufficiency, but all of it relies on stepping away from global supply chains, but not stepping away from life, right? It's this very like white privilege thing of like turning your brain off and never looking at the news and I'm just going to break off from society. It's not how it works. You can't do it um, unless you're wildly wealthy. And even then I have my doubts. So it's, it's stepping away from global supply chains. It's stepping away from unethical and unsustainable practices but you have to step in and embrace things to replace it, right? You can't just leave that vacuum of, I'm going to do it all myself. Because again, you can't do it all. Sorry, you can't. You can't do it all in the context of living a self-sufficient lifestyle around growing your own food, providing all of your own basic needs, but also in the context of a global climate catastrophe, you are just not that important. Your efforts are minuscule on their own, but compound exponentially the more and more people you draw into your efforts and who begin to replicate the cool things you're doing. And that, I think, is, is the heart of the interconnectedness of community sufficiency. If you want to learn more about hands-on community sufficiency tactics, you can check out some previous episodes. Uh, we will also talk more about different options in the future of this podcast. Obviously, that's kind of what this is all about. But I think the big reminder from this is don't feel bad when you can't do it alone. Don't feel bad when you can't grow all your own food and you can't make all your own clothes and you can't make all the best choices that you would want to make. It just, it's, it's impossible. And so we need a strong, vibrant community around us to fill the gaps that we can't fill ourselves. So as always, uh, if you have thoughts on this, if you have something you want to share or a question about any of this, definitely leave a comment on the podcast. Like I said, it's polybarks.com slash podcast slash 8-E-I-G-H-T. And yeah, I'd love to continue the conversation. So I think my joy of the week this week is a cranberry sauce. Um, that That's a silly joy, but um, I made this cranberry conserve conserve Con isn't it conserve anyway it's like a sauce a uh, very thick sauce uh, made with cranberries uh, orange some raisins and some of the black walnuts that I harvested I canned up some for gifting uh, but definitely ate some and it is so good I'm gonna leave the recipe down below I think it's meant to go on like meats and stuff but I put it on fresh bread with some melted butter and it was so so good it was just very like fall vibes uh so highly recommend if you're interested in that like i said i'll leave it down below but i'm, I'm just really enjoying those warm um 
comforting flavors right now. And it was so good. I was not sure. And then I made it and it was so, so, so good. Definitely, definitely recommend. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I will be back with you next week to talk more about uh, community building and resilience in the end. And yeah, see you soon.